0: If members of your community group, labor union, or nonprofit volunteer together, your organization will be thanked on air. So stop by KPFA at 1929 Martin Luther King Jr. Way, near the corner of University Avenue in Berkeley, anytime until February 22nd, or you can call to reserve your seat at 510-848-6767 extension 618.
1: It's 510-848-6767, extension 618. Thanks for supporting KPFA Radio. That's right, and you are indeed listening to KPFA, KPFB in Berkeley, KSCF in Fresno, and online at kpfa.org. Good afternoon. I'm Amelia Gonzalez sitting in for Jennifer Stone. Jennifer Stone is taking care of a few... Things and uh, and she'll be back next week. In the meantime, we're bringing you a special. And we spoke about what we should do during this half hour, and thought of bringing you the highlights of a film, Passion and Power, because I think it's something that um, Jennifer Stone, along the lines of what she does in terms of having women feel empowered in all art capacity. And this film, Passion and Power, a film by Emiko Omori and Wendy Slick, tells the story of one simple invention, the vibrator, and its relationship to one complex human behavior, the female orgasm. The history of the vibrator and its medical use had virtually vanished until historian Rachel Maines, researching needlework patterns in in the early 20th century, women's magazines, she ran across ads for electric vibrators. Picking her curiosity, she traced the origins of this early electrified appliance and made an astonishing discovery. So now we go to The Passion and Power, a film by Wendy Slick and Emiko Omori, and that is what we are offering. So if you while you're listening, feel free to call in at one 800 439-5732 or locally 848-5732 and you could pick up the DVD Power and Passion, The Technology of Orgasm if you would like for $150 or you can also get the book that we're offering for the next few minutes half an hour, uh, The Good Vibrations Guide to Sex. So stay with us as we go to Power and Passion. (coughs)
2: morning of November 11th, I believe it was. There was a voicemail message on my cell phone said, Mrs. Webb, there's been a warrant issued for your arrest on an obscenity charge. Uh, please be sure to turn yourself in between four and five this afternoon with a $1,500 bond. Uh, it'll be very quick, very brief, just a walkthrough, fingerprint, mugshot, all that, um, just formality, and then we'll have you out again. And I I was in shock. One of the states that has a law against selling vibrators is Texas. They had the first model legislation in 1976, which which states that you may you may own a vibrator, although it's illegal to sell them. You may own up to five, you may have five vibrators, but not six vibrators, because
0: uh, that would sign,
2: signify intent to sell. Uh, in Texas, however, of course you may you may buy trade or sell as many guns as you want uh... and it's also perfectly legal of course both to buy and to sell viagra i was in a uh, directors meeting that they were having and they turn off the lights and were waving this purple lighted vibrator around and i'm trying to be oh okay and i'm trying to be very sophisticated and even though i've been married forty two years and i certainly you know know what goes around I then realized that I had lived under a rock a little bit. I'm in a cab one time driving in, in, the, in the cab and he says, what are you doing? I said, I'm an, a, an author and a publisher. And he said, well, what book did you write? And I said, Liberating Masturbation. And he drove right into the car in front of us.
1: <laughs> I had to learn
2: about my boyfriend who told me I had a clitoris. I didn't even know I had one. And then he told me about it. And I was cool and so anxious to get home and try it out, (laughs) which I did. (laughs) I said, oh, what's this? I was working in 1977 on an article about needlework history, uh, American needlework between 1880 and 1930. And I was very interested in the, the crochet and tatting and knitting, especially ethnic influences on them. So I had to get like, you know, huge piles of needlework magazines because there's no, you know, index of American needlework periodicals. So the only way you can find what you're looking for is to go through and just turn the pages. And while I was doing this, uh, I kept being distracted by these, these goofy ads matrimonial ads and there's uh ads for cures for alcoholism that are mostly like forty percent alcohol and chickens that lay colored eggs and all sorts of goofy stuff and vibrators. And, and I thought, oh, I'm I'm not going to, I it can't be what I think it is. But maybe I should just make a few notes like Where I saw this ad, you know, that this is Modern Priscilla 1910, Woman's Home Companion 1906. I started taking notes like that. And then when I went to graduate school at Carnegie Mellon uh, between 1979 and 1983, uh, I talked about. Tracing the
3: history of the vibrator took her back 2,500 years and unlocked a secret history of women's sexuality, doctors, and deceit.
2: When I, when I first read about um, the, the invention of the vibrator, I wanted to know why are doctors inventing this device? What is it they think they're doing? People always have something in mind when they uh, invent a new technology. They have some need in mind that they need felt. I was extremely surprised to discover that doctors had felt they had this need for a massage technology. And I thought, well, why do they need a massage technology? And that's when it really got interesting. That's when I found out there was this connection running all the way back to Hippocrates that it was used as a treatment for hysteria, which was supposedly caused by the revolt of the uterus against neglect. So in order to prevent it from feeling neglected, you had to give it some attention. But when I went went into the details of what these treatments were like, I was really astonished that here... We have like Forestus writing in 1653 that you massage it for, for hysteria. You massage the vulva with uh, the with your fingers inside. You breathe, I call in a midwife. You use fragrant oil, and that there's this paroxysm. And I thought, my God, Miss Mitchell.
3: sort of madness arising from a vehement and unbridled desire of carnal embracement, which desires disturbs the rational faculties so that the patient utters wanton and lascivious speeches. Although it mainly affects virgins and young widows, it may also affect married women that have impotent husbands. If marriage fails as a remedy, some advised that the genital parts should be, by a cunning midwife, so handled and rubbed so as to cause an evacuation of the overabounding fluids.
2: And I went back and eventually uh, accumulated 20 or 30 such descriptions, some of them very graphic, about how this is to be done. Uh, and I still, it was still circumstantial. Uh, That is, they would talk about this release of fluid and the contractions. And it sounded so much like an orgasm, but I didn't really begin to believe it until I had Auguste Troupier in 1883 asserting that what happened was an orgasm and Moore in the 17th century also asserting that it was an orgasm. And then I believed that I had really found something astonishing.
3: In medieval times, before the invention of hysteria, The uterus was adored, not neglected, because it was thought that a woman's orgasm was necessary for conception.
0: Now, the interesting thing about the medieval humoral body is that male bodies and female bodies were differently constituted. The male body is basically a uh, fiery, dry, light body. It's the body which has heat, and dryness and is composed more predominantly of the airy and fiery humors the female body was considered to be a moist uh, heavy body composed of earth more, more predominantly of earth and water and the gender difference between male and female bodies had nothing to do with an anatomical structure it had to do with whether you were lighter and drier and fierier, hotter, or hotter or whether you were colder and wetter and The reason that made a difference to the body was that in the female body, the genitalia were contained within the body. Whereas in the male body, the same genitalia were extruded out of the body by the vital heat of the body, which produced the genitals. So males were considered to be females inside out and females were males outside in. The effect of this was it was thought that in order to assure conception, the female body had to be heated up. It had to, uh, to spring life, to get to produce a vitality. The female body had it heated up, so that in order to assure conception, women had to have orgasm. Then we got the Copernican Revolution. And suddenly. Copernicus proposed that the Earth was not the center of the universe. The Earth got displaced from the center of the universe and the Sun got substituted for the center of the universe. It's destroyed the whole medieval cosmology in one fell swoop. And it's destroyed by that, the scientific revolution. It's destroyed in the second instance by a social revolution, which is the rise of the middle class.
3: The status of the middle-class woman is now defined by a new vision of her body, the wrong body.
0: The male body becomes the model of what a proper body is. This is the body that can contain itself, the body that doesn't waste things. And there's now a whole language of waste. You can waste sperm, for example. Um, The female body becomes the body that leaks. It becomes now the, the wrong body. The flawed body, the body that's full of sites of leakage, the body that bleeds, the body that parturates, the body um, that contains other bodies within it and issues them out of it. Uh, so there's a whole new discourse of the body. And the epitome of this is going to be the Victorian body, in which a discourse of such containment and propriety as to be a stiff, absolutely proper... Women's bodies are tightly constrained by practices like corseting, emotions now tabooed, flows are now tabooed. By the 18th century, orgasm is no longer required for conception. There's no reason to heat up women's bodies. The discourse of orgasm now disappears from the cultural language. Nobody talks about it anymore. And by the 19th century, there was actually a question about whether women had orgasm specifically whether proper bourgeois women had orgasm at all.
3: Proper middle class women, not surprisingly, begin to manifest symptoms of sexual dissatisfaction. Doctors define these vague symptoms as a disease.
2: Hysteria. At the time of Hippocrates, which is uh, one of our earliest references to hysteria, uh, we, we have hysteria defined as a womb disease because, in fact, that's what it means. Hysteria, uh means womb or uterus in, in, in ancient Greek. And it would, re- it would revolt against neglect if it didn't get frequent attention. Uh, so it was the first thing you were supposed to try was uh, if she was married, she was supposed to go home and have sex with her husband and see if that, that helped. And, of course, a lot of the time it didn't. Other treatments were recommended, such as horseback riding, bouncing the pelvis rhythmically in a swing, riding in a carriage. That didn't work, which often it didn't. Uh, She would come back to the doctor, and then she would get this massage treatment. The idea was to produce an effect which was called the hysterical paroxysm. Calling it an hysterical paroxysm, that's all what I call social camouflage. It's a way of calling something by a name that's palatable to everybody. In the 19th century, the camouflage was, was very much in place. There were some doctors who did this. It's clear they had no idea what was going on.
3: Symptoms of hysteria. Yawning, itching, stomach upsets,
2: insomnia,
3: reading French novels while wearing tight corsets, disagreeing with husbands.
2: Any so symptom you might have um, could be a symptom of hysteria. In fact, Charles La Segway, a 19th century French physician, said of hysteria that it was the, the waste paper basket of otherwise unemployed medical symptoms. Uh, my, I think my favorite symptoms of hysteria are anxiety. Uh, sleeplessness, a vague feeling of heaviness or uneasiness in the abdomen, uh, and uh, my my absolute favorites, sexual fantasy and vaginal lubrication. Now, with symptoms like these, of course, they found an awful lot of sick people. The idea of producing orgasm was to cause a crisis of the disease, and then she would feel better. For a while, until of course you know the symptoms would return, she'd come back to the doctor, and so on and so on for 2,500 years. This was great for doctors because these are the ideal patients. First of all, they're not going to die of their disease, right? Because we would say they're not really sick, uh, and then of course they're not going to recover from it either, right? They're, they're chronic patients. are going to come back regularly, lending a new meaning to the expression cash cow. that women were going to find out that coitus was not the most efficient way of producing our gas in women. And they, they were really afraid we were going to find it out. And sure enough, eventually, we did find it out. We <laughs> have, of course, the, the water power, which is very old, that goes back into antiquity, um, And we don't really know much about the invention of it and who produced it and so on. But we know that by the middle of the 19th century, anybody who produced hydriatic technology was producing some form of douche bath or douche therapy. Saratoga Springs had the best of both worlds. They had gambling for the men and they had the water cure for the women. Now, they preferred to do it with a mechanism because they didn't like doing it. It would take them up to an hour of the and a lot of skill, which they also didn't like, and a mechanism reduced the whole procedure to about 10 minutes, which greatly improved cash flow, of course. So they wanted a way to do this job fast, efficiently, and with as little skill as they could manage to put into it. So they take the the vibrator, which is a, a de-skilling, you don't need much skill. It's a de technology, and they substitute money for their skill. That's called a, a capital labor substitution innovation, because you're using money instead of hard work, right? So we, we say of the vibrator that it is a deskilling capital labor substitution innovation. This is probably the oldest vibrator here, and I think that this was probably used for uh, massage of the muscles, particularly of the back. It's uh, actually works very much like an egg beater or an electric drill, which are, except that it has little stops inside on the uh, the rotating mechanism on the gear. It's an, it's an eccentric gear, so you see how the how the thing rotates off center. It's got a little eccentric gear in there, so that when you turn the handle, it moves it back and forth. The
1: voice of Rachel Maines. PhD, author of the Technology of Orgasm, Hysteria, the Vibrator, and Women's Sexual Satisfaction, and of course a scholar of needlework and technology, which is how um, she was led to finding out about the vibrator, finding out about all this technology while researching the changing patterns of needlework in the early 20th century women's magazines. Mains kept being distracted by ads that sounded remarkably like the modern day vibrator and investigating further mains discovered that a doctor mortimer granville had invented the electronic electromagnetic vibrator in the 1880s and that's what we're talking about today this afternoon for the next few minutes we are able to offer you uh, the the full length film Power and Passion, the technology of orgasm, that was produced by Emiko Omori and Wendy Slick. They have been kind enough to offer us the film at a discount rate in order for us to be able to offer it to you as a thank you gift. And this is something that, you know, we have brought to you um, in a previous fun drive and has been very popular with you, our listening audience. And we are also able to offer the 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 book... Good Vibrations Guide to Sex which is a wonderful package uh, deal if you get both of them. We offer that for a $250 um, subscription rate that is is uh, twenty less than $21 a month if you choose to get both. The film goes through the history. The cast of characters as you heard are plenty. You have the um, again the expertise of Rachel Maines. You also have Dale Williams who's a pioneer and feminist and founder of Eve's Garden who uh, talks about very candidly about what it meant to um, find out about her body. And you have Reno, a New York performance artist, also talking about her, um, her observations and openness about her vibrator experiences. Joanne Webb, you heard her briefly in the beginning talking about how she's a, as a church-going mother, needed to bring in a little extra income, and she became a sales consultant for passion parties, modeled on the Tupperware and Avon, uh, passion parties, uh, sold erotic goods to women's homes and unbeknownst to her, uh, Texas has laws forbidding the sale of items that stimulate the human genitals. Leave it for Texas, right? And she has, uh, uh she unwittingly sold two, uh, two, two, two under, uh, undercover cops masquerading as a couple with sexual problems and was arrested. This is what's happening, of course, uh, I think later on it was dropped, but this is what's happening now. And unfortunately, what we see throughout the history of this is um, a time where we were more open about sex and our bodies than we are now. And this is a wonderful history if you have young women in, in your life, if you've got men that appreciate women, you know, it's important that um, you consider possibly giving this as a thank you gift, getting this as a thank you gift and sharing it. It's a great um, historical account of something that has become so taboo. And we have it for the asking if you call now and pledge your support for KPFA. Uh, normally, we have Jennifer Stone here talking about women empowered politically uh, with our our bodies and with our minds. And this is a lot the lines of what jennifer would bring you she'll be back next week but right now we do need to take care of business we are falling short of our goal and our fund drive we are committed to end by friday but we need your help to do that and you can help right now in the next few minutes and get these great thank you gifts as we spoke about Earlier, the Good Vibrations Guide to Sex, which is a great book, it's a bright, convivial, women-owned sex store. As you know, Good Vibrations is in San Francisco and here in Berkeley, where customers of both genders and all sexual orientations feel welcome. This book is as candid, upbeat, and friendly as the store. It is filled with information that customers ask for most frequently: tips for enhancing your sex life and reviews of a variety of sex toys. Good Vibrations believes that there's more sexual pleasure available than most people experience and achieving this pleasure should not be difficult dangerous or expensive and it should definitely not be taboo if you believe that our uh, pleasure and our 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 enjoyment of our bodies that um that have been given to us and that (laughs) take us throughout our lives is is a way to go won't you consider um pledging your support for KPFA, pledging your support for the, um, the unfettered conversation that you're not going to get anywhere else. We're hoping that you do. We hope that you support this. We're hoping that you support the arts here. You're, we're hoping that you support these independent producers that took a risk and decided to make this film. I'm sure that, um, you know, there were a lot of other uh, sexy uh, uh, topics, if you will, not, no pun intended, but that there were other topics that may be more of more import, if you will. But nonetheless, they did it, and I think it was a great service to do this to women and do it to the men that appreciate women and to all of us to know about our body and know how history and in in the history that how our bodies have been treated differently. Very important to remember that. one eight hundred four three nine five seven three two eight four eight. 439 5732 5732 is a number to call. Again, what we're offering is the DVD, Power and Passion, The Technology of Orgasm. If you call now with a $150 pledge, $150 is exactly $12.50 a month. It is a little, uh, I think is what a movie costs these days. I'm not really sure. I unfortunately don't go to the movie as much as I would like. But nonetheless, this is um, a reasonable amount if you choose to become one of our monthly sustainers. It's a great way for us to be able to budget uh more realistically and also um, um, uh a smaller hit in your pocketbook. So do consider that. Or you could get the book, The Good Vibrations Guide to Sex as we have been talking about. Good vibrations uh, if you do our monthly sustainer rate is less than eleven dollars a month. Won't you consider becoming a monthly sustainer, becoming part of the KPFA family, becoming part of the free flow of information and alternative views of the world. one eight hundred four three nine five seven three two eight four eight. 5732 are the numbers to call and again we have these uh, gifts for you if you're listening to us online at www.kpfa.org consider hitting the support link there it's the first page that comes up consider becoming a member that way and you could see all the goodies that we have been able to offer throughout our drive whatever it is that you would like uh, it's important that you do call in and support the arts here we're here we are in, in between um, Free Speech Radio and in between the public affairs programming that we uh, bring you and, and we consider it a break to ponder um, maybe uh, issues, topics that you wouldn't. Uh, Jack Foley brings you poetry. Jennifer Stone brings you her her wonderful wit every Tuesday. Uh, Denny Smithson brings you interviews and of course we have Richard Walensky on Thursdays and we have Open Book which is a, uh, a uh, potpourri of different uh, talent that we have here at the station. We bring you Uh, authors, we bring you theater, we bring you a lot of what is going on in the arts. Please support what KPFA does in order to support our local artists such as Amori, uh, Amori, um, I'm sorry, Emiko Amori and Wendy Slick. Won't you go to the phone and support these amazing filmmakers that have brought this film. There's a lot that has been said about this film. This film is a great great uh, part of add addition to your um what is it? Your video collection. I'm so sorry. I'm actually a little getting sick in case you haven't noticed, but nonetheless I am here excited about being able to offer this to you and I'm hoping that you're excited enough to go to the phone, pledge your support, learn about the history, learn about how women have been discounted by being told that they're hysterical and of course now we don't have the treatments that we did back in the day it sounds like that was an important way to um to treat it uh and unfortunately we have mechanized ways or even well that's not unfortunate. It's a, a sign of the times, but it's, it's something that we could talk about openly where you could learn more about it, be informed about it and feel okay about knowing your body. There was a whole, well, one thing that we didn't get to in the film is the whole seventies movement of women discovering themselves and, uh, and learning about their bodies, feeling empowered. There's a lot, there's a whole section of the film that talks about that. It was part of the women's movement and it's, uh, and it's, it's It's a great you know it's it's a great reflection on how the personal is political and the political is personal. That's why I really appreciate this film and i I'm hoping that you do as well. if you go to the phone and pledge your support, you could get it one eight hundred four three nine five seven three two eight four eight 5732 is the number to call. We have three people on the uh, on the line. We have only one minute left. I'm hoping that more people go to the phone and pledge your support for KPFA for your financial support is what we're asking for in this last week. We are committed to ending on Friday, but we do need your help to do that. We have to make at least um, about $100,000 a day to be able to meet our goal. And for those of you who might not know, our goal is based on our budget. We don't say, hey, you you know, we don't just pull out this amount out of the uh, woodwork. We actually pull it out of our budget and know what it takes to run this station. If you believe that KPFA is worthy of your hard-earned dollar, please go to the phone. Support us now. one 800 439 5732 Five seven three two is a number to call, and again, you you have your choice of either the Good Vibrations Guide to Sex for a hundred thirty dollar pledge, or you have. Um